What if your workers leave with your trade secrets and you don't have a confidentiality agreement in place? On this episode of It's the Keith Law PLLC Podcast, and I'm Jason Keith, attorney in Houston, Texas. Keith Law is a Texas-based law firm that helps businesses protect and enhance their competitive advantages by assisting with trademark issues and identifying and protecting trade secrets. The firm's goal is to help businesses prevent and address business problems, and I hope this podcast will do the same. I was recently talking to a friend who wondered how protected a company's trade secrets are in the absence of a confidentiality agreement. The short answer is that trade secrets are protected under both Texas Uniform Trade Secrets Act and the Federal Defend Trade Secrets Act when the statutory requirements are satisfied. A written agreement is not required to satisfy the statutory requirements. The statutes are aligned when it comes to the requirement that owners of the information sought to be protected under the law must take reasonable steps or reasonable measures to keep the information a secret. And one such reasonable measure to keep the information secret is to have recipients of the information sign an agreement prior to receipt of that information. There are benefits to confidentiality agreements that I'll go over later in this episode, but the short answer is they are not absolutely necessary in the employment context in order to have trade secret protection. Now I'll move into the longer answer. First, I want to go over the cause of action elements, and under Texas law, the trade secret cause of action has four primary elements that must be proven by a plaintiff in a trade secret misappropriation lawsuit. Of course, we want to avoid a lawsuit, but it's important to start with the ultimate possibility in mind because the options are encourage a misappropriator or someone who might become a misappropriator not to harm your business in the first place by misappropriating your trade secrets. Or if they do, the other options are to file a lawsuit to seek a court order to stop the misappropriation and to be made whole with a money judgment for the damage that was caused, or to do nothing at all. That's why it makes sense to first look at the cause of action that would need to be proven in a misappropriation of trade secrets cause of action to get the court order and money judgment. When those elements are strongly in place, it increases the chance of not needing to go to court in the first place, or if you do, being able to resolve the dispute early on when it becomes clear to the misappropriator that the likelihood of prevailing is very strong. Element one is that the misappropriated information is a trade secret as defined by the applicable statute. And you can listen back to an earlier episode of the Keith Law PLLC podcast where I went into great detail on the definition of what a trade secret is. Element two is that the trade secret was improperly acquired through a confidential or contractual relationship or by other improper means. Element three, the defendant used the trade secret without plaintiff's authorization. And element four, and the final element, is that the plaintiff sustained damages as a result of the misappropriation. So those are the four basic essential elements of a trade secret misappropriation cause of action. Those are the elements which must be satisfied to prevail in a trade secret misappropriation lawsuit. But what about misappropriation in the absence of a signed agreement? 
This is really a question about element two of the cause of action, whether the trade secret was improperly acquired through a confidential or contractual relationship or by other improper means. When there is no signed agreement in place, such as a confidentiality or non-disclosure agreement, the question becomes whether the trade secret was improperly acquired through a confidential relationship or by other improper means. The contractual part is no longer available when there is no contract in place. And let me zoom out for just a minute to go into a bit of public policy discussion. A little discussion of public policy could be helpful here to provide a wider view of the trade secret landscape when it comes to former workers. And this just may help to understand why things are the way they are and why the things that I'll explain later in this episode are the way they are at this time. So we as a society embrace and encourage competition, including competition by former workers with their former employers. This allows for innovation, which can maximize value to society as a whole. And it's common for employees to leave calcified companies when they see that things can be done better and they can't or don't want to get traction with their ideas within their employer's company. But it's a balancing act. We don't want to disincentivize investments by established companies due to the threat that if their investments result in a marketplace hit, their employees will just leave with the benefits of these hard-earned innovations and undercut their former employers. In this balancing act between competing public policies that are both important and both good are why we sometimes see a pendulum swing in the laws toward one direction for a while until it goes too far or is perceived to have gone too far, and then it can swing back, sometimes too far in the other direction. And so this is a balancing act that we're dealing with in determining what the rules should be in this context. But now let's move back into the more zoomed-in answer. And next, I want to talk about use of information acquired during employment. In Texas, an employee is under an obligation not to divulge or use the trade secrets of the employer, except for the employer's benefit, not only during employment, but also after the employment terminates. However, a former employee may use in competition with the former employer the general knowledge, skills, and experience acquired during employment, as well as any information learned in employment that is not subject to a duty of non-disclosure, provided that competition is fairly and legally conducted. Unless otherwise agreed, after the termination of employment, an employee has no duty not to compete with the former employer, but has a duty to the former employer not to use or to disclose to third persons for the benefit of the employee or of the third persons in competition with or other harm to the former employer, that former employer's trade secrets, written lists of names, or other similar confidential matters given to the employee only for the employee's use or acquired by the employee in violation of that duty. If the defendant is merely using a skill developed while working for the plaintiff, later use of those skills is not illegal. But what if there's a question about trade secret status? Is this information a trade secret? Two of the most important reasons to have a written confidentiality agreement with your employees is to, one, 
demonstrate that your business took reasonable steps to protect its trade secrets. After all, this is part of the statutory definition of trade secrets. Did you take reasonable steps to protect them? If reasonable steps or reasonable measures to protect your trade secrets weren't taken, then by definition, the information is not a trade secret under the statute. And a second important reason to have a written confidentiality agreement with your employees is to educate your employees about what your business considers its trade secrets. That makes it harder for the employee after leaving to say, I didn't consider this a trade secret. I didn't know this was a trade secret. Or this wasn't a trade secret. The best practice is to get this written agreement in place before providing your trade secrets to your new worker. But regardless of when you put the agreement in place, its existence makes it more difficult for your worker to later argue that they had no idea that, for example, your business considered its customer list a trade secret. Another helpful aspect of having a written confidentiality agreement is the ability to attach it to correspondence to your former worker's new employer to put them on notice of the fact that your former worker had access to your business trade secret information. Then, in the event of a misappropriation, the new employer may be complicit in misappropriation and may also be in the crosshairs of a tortious interference with existing contract cause of action for facilitating your former worker's breach of their confidentiality agreement with you. And this can have the practical impact of preventing a problem in the first place, which is always best, or increasing the chances of making you whole on the back end if a lawsuit does become necessary. Why is that? First, why might it stop the problem before a lawsuit becomes necessary? In my experience, when an employee leaves and I send the warning letter to the employee saying, hey, you have this agreement with your former employer in place, please provide assurances that you're going to respect that agreement. It's very common not to get any response back from the former employee. But when we find out where the former employee went or is planning to go, a letter to the new employer giving them a heads up on, hey, this new worker of yours or this person who's about to become a new worker of yours has this agreement with us and continuing duties not to violate this agreement. Depending on what's in the agreement, this can have a number of different possible outcomes. One, it might prevent the new employer from hiring your former worker in the first place, or if they already did hire the former employer, it could cause them to terminate that employment early on to avoid any kind of problems. Number two, if the new employer really wants this new worker, but is sophisticated enough to know that misappropriation of trade secrets issues are not worth the hassle, then it may encourage the new employer to put internal procedures in place to ensure that their new worker, your former employee, is not in a position to misappropriate your trade secrets in that context, in the context of their new employment. And then third, if the new employer completely ignores the letter, as long as you can prove that you sent it, you're in a position to show that the new employer was not ignorant to the responsibilities and the obligations that were out there, making it easier to attach liability to the new employer. Why is that important? Because businesses tend to be less judgment-proof than individuals. So when you get a judgment against your former employee, 
in many cases, it's not going to be collectible in Texas. But when the new business, when their new employer is jointly and severally liable, meaning jointly liable for that judgment, the chances of collecting on that judgment are higher. While we're talking about judgment, we should talk about attorney's fees recovery. Recovery of attorney's fees in a trade secrets misappropriation lawsuit can be affected by whether there is a written agreement in place. It seems that this isn't commonly known, but when it comes to attorney's fees in Texas lawsuits, each side pays for their own attorney's fees, regardless of who wins, unless there's a contractual or statutory exception to this rule. Both the state and federal trade secret statutes address attorney's fees but only in very limited circumstances. Both statutes allow for recovery of attorney's fees when either one, two, or three. One, the lawsuit is proven to have been brought in bad faith. So you sued for misappropriation of trade secrets, and it turns out that the lawsuit that you filed was a bad faith lawsuit. You can be found responsible for the attorney's fees of the defendants. Two, a defendant's motion to terminate an injunction was made by the defendant or resisted by the plaintiff in bad faith. And just as a reminder, the plaintiff is the party who's bringing the lawsuit to court and a defendant is defending against the lawsuit. A motion to terminate an injunction, that means there's an injunction in place. A court has put an injunction in place usually telling the defendant that the defendant cannot do certain things pending the outcome of the lawsuit. So this is a temporary restraining order or a temporary injunction. A motion to terminate that injunction has been filed. A defendant files the motion asking the court to dissolve this injunction for any number of possible reasons. And if the plaintiff resists that motion in bad faith, The plaintiff can be responsible for the attorney's fees of the defendant, or if it's found that the defendant brought that motion in bad faith, the defendant can be responsible for the plaintiff's attorney's fees in resisting that motion. And then the third context in which attorney's fees can be awarded under one of these two misappropriation of trade secret statutes is the state and the federal statutes is when the misappropriation was willful and malicious. So if it's found that the defendant willfully and maliciously misappropriated your trade secrets, the defendant can be found responsible for paying you back your attorney's fees. How does that happen in practice? You have to prove your reasonable and necessary attorney's fees at trial. And if proven and granted, those attorney's fees will be added to the judgment that's awarded in your favor. And then that judgment is a judgment debt, which you can seek to collect just like you can seek to collect any other debt. It's not a court order to pay you, but it is a debt subject to collection under Texas collection laws. So these three contexts that the statutes allow for awarding attorney's fees to the other party, these are high bars to clear, and it isn't just enough to prevail on the lawsuit. Simply winning the lawsuit isn't enough to show that the misappropriation was willful and malicious. Also, a defendant prevailing and not being found liable for misappropriation of 
trade secret is not enough for the defendant to recover attorney's fees. The defendant would have to show that the lawsuit was brought in bad faith, that there was no good faith basis to assert the lawsuit. On the other hand, a prevailing plaintiff can recover attorney's fees in a misappropriation case when there's a confidentiality or non-disclosure agreement. If the contract explicitly allows for recovery of attorney's fees by a prevailing party, or if the contract doesn't have a provision like this, Chapter 38 of the Civil Practice and Remedies Code will allow a prevailing plaintiff to recover its attorney's fees from an individual or a corporation defendant when they breach the written contract. And the reason I say individual or corporation defendant is because that's what the statute says, and it's been interpreted to mean that an LLC is not the type of defendant against whom a prevailing plaintiff can recover attorney's fees under Chapter 38 of the Civil Practice and Remedies Code in a written contract context. Are there any other potential legal theories in a misappropriation of trade secrets context? Well, when a lawsuit's filed, it's common for a plaintiff to assert all available causes of action. And in a misappropriation of trade secrets context, the following causes of action may be available depending on the circumstances. Of course, misappropriation of trade secrets, breach of contract, especially if there's a written contract in place, breach of confidential or fiduciary duty, common law misappropriation, and this is for products developed through extensive time, labor, skill, and money, tortious interference with existing contracts. This is a tort that may be available when a defendant is interfering with existing contracts and the existing contracts in this context may include confidentiality agreements with workers, non-disclosure agreements with vendors, or customer contracts. Tortious interference with prospective business relations. Unfair competition by misappropriation. Fraud by non-disclosure. The Texas Theft Liability Act. Idea submission and civil conspiracy or other participatory liability theories. There may also be criminal liability. Theft of a trade secret in Texas is a felony. A trade secret in criminal law is more limited than in civil law. And by that, I mean the definition of trade secret is more limited. The definition under criminal law of a trade secret is the whole or any part of any scientific or technical information, design, process, procedure, formula, or improvement that has value and that the owner has taken measures to prevent becoming available to persons other than those selected by the owner to have access for limited purposes. Theft of a trade secret may also violate a number of federal criminal laws. The takeaways from this episode... Although your business's trade secrets may be protectable in the absence of written agreements, there are significant benefits to having written agreements in place. And even though there's no guarantee that having these agreements in place will prevent an eventual need to go to court, in most situations, having them will put your business in a significantly stronger position in a lawsuit. Having the agreements in place can provide your attorney with tools that may nip problems in the bud before they cause any true harm to your business. 
On the other side of the coin, it makes sense to conduct due diligence to ensure that your new workers are not bringing your competitors' trade secrets with them. And if you receive a notice letter from your competitor's attorney pertaining to your new worker, you should consult with your attorney to take steps to minimize your business's liability exposure. Disclaimer, this audio is for informational purposes only and should not be misinterpreted as legal or other professional advice. If you have a legal question, you should consult with an attorney in your jurisdiction. This is Jason Keith thanking you for listening to the Keith Law PLLC podcast.